And would you welcome uh, Adam and Kenzie Harvelt uh, to the platform this morning? All right. And uh, they're going to share with us a little bit about their adoption story. So I know that this is a big part of your family story. So why don't you share with us a little bit about how that happened? Yeah, I knew from a very early age that I would pursue adoption. It was just always on my heart. And then when Adam and I began to date and got engaged and uh, married, God made it very obvious to us that that's the way he would allow our family to grow. So we moved to Texas and we decided to foster to adopt through the CPS system. And we spent about a year getting that license. And we told CPS we would be willing to take any age, any race, um, any disability. And then through some convincing, I convinced Adam that we could handle more than one kiddo at a time. So we said we'd take a sibling group. And uh, about a year later, we got a phone call in the middle of the night at midnight that two kiddos needed a home and they needed it very quickly and would we be willing to take them. And so we asked if we could pray about it until 6 a.m. and God made it very obvious to us through the course of that night that these would be our children. Um, so Elijah, our oldest, and Bree came home to us very quickly after that and we spent six months fostering them and their, then their adoption became final. And then six months later, we got another phone call that their biological brother had been born and he also would need um, to be placed with, or to, to be adopted. And of course we said yes to him. And so that's Isaiah. And we spent a year fostering him and our prayer was that God would allow him to be a Harvell by the time he turned one. And so we went to court the day before his first birthday and he became a Harvell at that point. That's exciting, isn't it? Absolutely. Very exciting. So this is, this is a big deal, and it's, and it's a big change for them. Their life completely changed, but it's a big deal for you too as adoptive parents. So how, how have you, now looking back, how have you seen how this adoption has changed them and changed you as well? So we... Um we, we received uh, Elijah and Bree. Eli was six years old and Bree was 18 months. So we had to change our identity immediately, right? We were parents uh, to a six-year-old, which is a little different than uh, an infant, right? This, this six-year-old can talk back and um, all of <laughs> yes, these other can. things. Yeah. <laughs> so we, uh, we had to develop an identity as, as parents uh, through that and, and figure out, you know, who who is the Harvell family? Who, who are we going to be? And uh, so that was a big change for us, but also a big change for the kiddos. Um, they had to uh, develop an identity with us, and uh, it was um, a change in our household, too, of uh, an identity of a sanctuary and uh, a place for them to come and, and be safe from uh, really what they what they experienced in life. Um, we had several uh, documents detailing uh, situations where CPS was involved and uh, how uh, just the, the sin in that relationship, uh, in that, in that uh, environment that they were in and what uh, they were pulled out of and how really God changed their uh, 
their outlook on life by placing them with us and really broke some generational sin by pulling them into our family. And so uh, we had to develop that as well and, and uh, create a firm foundation for them. Um, and then Elijah working through his, his own spiritual identity uh, with, with coming through to us and not having that before. And I think Kenzie has some other things to say about that. Yeah, uh, within the year of Elijah coming home to us, he here at First Colleyville accepted Christ as his Savior. And some people asked us if we thought he was too young or if he fully understood what he was doing. And of course, we said yes. This little boy, more than anybody, knew what it was like to not have hope and then to have hope and then to see redemption. And of all people, my son knew what it was like to want a relationship with a father that was consistent and for a dad to seek him out daily. So of course he knew um, what the Lord could offer him and he wanted that. And so that was really neat. But we also got to see a big change in Elijah from the day that we changed his name. We let him choose a new middle name. He was six and he wanted to have a middle name just like his daddy. And so he chose Michael. And so um, there was some behavior actually before the um, court date to change his name. And it's funny because the day he became a Harvell and we set that identity and he knew he was forever a Harvell, those behaviors we haven't seen anymore. So I think it just secured in him that he was a part of our forever family. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. We're so excited that they not only have, those kiddos have you as their parents, but you as their church family as well. And so we just celebrate all that God's been doing. So let's just thank God uh, together. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. All right, if you brought your Bible, open that thing up to Ephesians chapter 1. We are in our series, Identity Defined, and we've been looking at who we are uh, in Christ. In fact, we've been looking at this one sentence that starts at verse 3, goes all the way through verse 14, and it just identifies who we are in Christ. In fact, the phrase, in Christ, or in Him, or in the Beloved, uh, is mentioned 11 times from verse 3 to verse 11, uh, or verse 14. And so, it just over and over and over, it's driving home the main point that all that we are, our identity is in Christ. We found in verse 3 that if you're in Christ, you're blessed. We found in verse 4, if you're in Christ, you're holy and blameless. The past is gone. Uh, and then we're going to look at today, if you are in Christ, you are adopted as sons and daughters into God's family. So let's look at it. Ephesians chapter one, uh, we're gonna pick up at verse four. If you're at verse four, say amen. amen. All right, this is the word of God. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now stop right there for just a minute. Well, you circle the word adoption or uh, adopted. Uh, we, we are adopted. If you were in Christ, you were an adopted son 
or daughter. You once were outside the family, now you're inside the family. You once were a stranger, and now you're, you're an insider. You once were alienated from God, and now you are a member of His household, the Scripture says. You're a child of God. We just sang that song, I'm a child of God, yes I am. Well, the, those words mean something to us as followers of Jesus. They're not just lyrics to a song. They, they are statements of identity of who we are in Jesus Christ. Uh, adoption uh, is probably one of the most tender blessings that we have of God. You know, when you talk about justification, it's a legal statement that you are, you are freed from your guilt and right before God. When you talk about forgiveness, there's an element of, you know, I'm washed clean. But when you say you're adopted, there's something about that that tugs at your heart. It means you're a part of a family. You're included as part of a family. If you are in Christ, you are adopted as his son or daughter and a member of God's family. This adoption, idea of adoption, was completely radical in the time that Paul wrote this letter. During the Roman Empire, they did not understand adoption as you and I understand adoption. Uh, in that day, it was a very dangerous and a very dark place. And uh, uh, child abuse and infanticide was common practice, common practice. In fact, many children were killed just uh, after their birth. Uh, we have ancient documents that talk about if it's a son, let him live. If it's a daughter, uh, let her die. So there, there was common practice like that. In fact, I, I read an article this week out of an archaeological journal where they just recently discovered a mass grave of children's bones underneath the ancient ruins of a Roman brothel. So children were discarded, and, and they did, if they weren't wanted, they were done, and you, were, you played no legal uh, penalty for that. They were seen in the Roman eyes as subhuman, not fully human yet, as property that could be easily discarded that had very little value at all. In fact, if you, only 40% of the Roman Empire actually lived to their 20th birthday. So many people died in those early years. And those that did survive, those that were discarded, left on the street, thrown on the pile, uh, abandoned, these children were often gathered up and raised and trafficked as uh, thieves and, and slaves and prostitutes and fodder for the gladiators uh, for blood sport. So it was a very dangerous and dark place. And what happened was the change began to happen when the gospel went to Rome. When the gospel began to be proclaimed in Rome, people heard the gospel and they were saved. And, and suddenly they began to see through a new lens that, hey, people matter to God. They're created in the image of God. That's who we are. That kind of goes all the way back to our first talk we gave on this identity series that we're, every man is created in the image of God. Every person created in the image of God and has value and worth. And they saw these children being discarded and they said, well, somebody's got to do something about that. So they would go and they would take these children that are left in exposure and left out in the woods and throwing on the junk pile and they'd bring them in and they would adopt them as their own. They would say, oh, you're going to throw that child in the river? You don't want that child? Here, give that child to me and I will adopt this child and raise it as my own. And so the early Christians began to adopt these children that were unwanted and discarded. See, in Roman Empire, adoption was not normally that, done that way. We always think of adoption as maybe taking in someone that has a need, but the Romans' view of adoption was very different. It was really only used for those that were powerful and wealthy, 
political leaders, many times they would adopt when, when they're getting later in life and, and they had no suitable heir to run their estate or suitable heir to continue their political agenda. That in the later years, they would adopt an adult male as their son to be the one that would take over their inheritance or to run their business or to lead in their place. That's what adoption was. It was something that you chose someone that was worthy, someone that was proven, someone that could offer you something, and that's how adoption happened. But, but it was very countercultural for Christians to go out and bring in children that had nothing to offer and give them life. And you say, well, why do they do that? Why do these early Christians do that? Well, I think they probably thought this. Well, uh, Jesus was adopted. He had an earthly dad, Joseph, that adopted him and, and stepped in and, and led him. And so that must be a good thing. And then, hey, we have been adopted into God's family. And so we're just simply demonstrating that uh, truth by our adoption of these children. Christians have, over the generations, always been pro-life, pro-adoption because we realize that we've been adopted as God's sons and daughters. And that's really what Paul is driving at here when he talks about our adoption. Now, you may say, well, what, what does it mean actually to be adopted as God's son or daughter? What does that actually mean? So I wanna, I wanna give you some thoughts here for you to write down. Okay. Uh, by the way, we're having some technical problems today. Uh, nobody's just goofing around on the slider. All right, back in the back. Hey, watch this. Uh, so I just kick into my preacher third lung and we keep going. All right. So we're, that's how we roll around here. I don't come and go. I just plow on through. All right. Don't let that hinder you from what God wants to say to you today. All right. So what does it mean to be adopted? I want you to jot these things down. I'm laying kind of a theological foundation for understanding adoption. All right. Here's the first thing it means. It means that you were on God's heart before time began. You were on God's heart before time began. Your adoption was in the heart of God before time again. Look at, look at what it says. He predestined us for adoption to himself. That, that word predestined is a great word. It's an important word. Uh, it, it really is a combination of two Greek words, pro, horizo. Pro meaning before. Horizo, we get the word horizon from. So before the horizon or before the boundary, before time. In fact, we understand that word based on the word before in verse four, where he says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So here's the idea, that adoption was on the heart of God before anything began. Adoption was on the heart of God before anything began. Every adoption begins with a desire in the heart of a parent, a father or a mother to adopt a child. It doesn't begin with the need, it begins with the desire. Think about it, there's already still today 183 million orphans in the world. There is massive need, right? But adoptions don't take place. You don't have meetings with an agency. You don't have filings with a court. You don't, have, uh, you, don't, you don't go and visit. Before all those things happen, rewind it all the way back, it starts with a desire in the heart of a father and a mother to adopt a child. That's what Kinsey said. She said, I remember as a young girl, I having this desire to adopt. That's where it began. Now, listen, that's where Paul starts. He says, back before anything happened, before time began, God had a desire. And the desire was to adopt you and me. 
He had a desire. And that was that he chose you before you chose him. That he knew you before you knew him. That he wanted you before you wanted him. That adoption begins and is initiated by God. Adoption is, is a unilateral work of God moving toward us to choose us and love us and accept us in Christ. And that happened before the world began. It started in the heart of God. Second thing I want you to write down about adoption, laying this foundation, is Jesus paid the price for your adoption. Jesus provi provided uh, the price or paid the price for your adoption. God is, God is adopting us, but Christ paid the price for it. You know, when I, you think about adoptions, adoptions are expensive. Uh, today, domestic adoptions, maybe even international adoptions can range anywhere from Twenty to $50,000, and that's, that's just the court filings and agency fees and all those kinds of things. And then, then you got to bring a child home, right? And then you got to have crib and, and food and education, and, and then on and on and on and on it goes, right? It's an expensive process to adopt. But when you think about God's adoption of us, our, adopted, our adoption was paid for in full by Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he was paying for you to be called a son, for you to be called a daughter. That's what he was doing. You know, a lot of people, they wear a crucifix. They think, well, yeah, Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And they say it kind of in a distant way. No, no, no. You got to understand what he's doing there is so you could cry out, Abba, Father. So that you can, when you pray, you can pray, my father in heaven. How, did, how do you get to call him father? It's because Jesus paid for it on the cross. Galatians chapter four tells us that. Galatians 4 verse 4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The reason you can call God father is because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so what God determined would happen in eternity past what was on the heart of God in eternity past comes now effectual, becomes effective in your life at the moment you receive Christ. So the moment you receive Christ, that's the moment of your adoption. That's the moment that you step from uh, darkness to light. That's the moment that you go from alienated to a member of the family. That's when you become a son or daughter. You know, when you adopt a child, the adoption happens when the gavel goes down, I now uh, pronounce that you are now a son and daughter. Boom, it happens in a moment, in an instant. That is what happens when you receive Christ. In fact, John chapter one, verse 12 puts it this way, but to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. So the moment that you heard the gospel and you believed on the Lord Jesus, the moment you received Christ by faith, at that moment, the gavel came down, your name was changed, your identity was sealed, and you were forever adopted as his son and daughter. The moment you believed, Jesus paid for it. The third thing I want you to jot down, and this is laying the foundation of adoption. God, it was on the heart of God before time began. Jesus paid for it on the cross. The third thing is that, that you are permanently secure in Christ because of your adoption. Eternal security is rooted in this idea of adoption. The perseverance of the saints is rooted in this concept of adoption. You say, why is that? Because in the Roman Empire, if you were uh, adopted, you are more secure than if you were a natural born child. 
a natural born child could be rejected. I just said, they were often rejected. You could be killed. You could be cast aside. You could be sold. All kinds of things could happen if you were a natural born son or daughter. But if you are adopted, then there were, there, you are prohibited from being rejected. You, you were secure as a son. You were secure as a daughter. That could never legally change. You cannot forsake an adopted son or daughter. You were secure. In fact, I was talking with Adam Harvell uh, this week about his uh, adoption process. And he said, Craig, we have actual birth certificates. They have the kid's name and our name on them, just as if we gave birth to them. We have their birth certificate. But we have more than that. We have court orders. We have filings with the court. We have agency papers. We have a stack this tall on every child that proves that they are our children. That, that's the security and the stability that we have. Now listen, because you are an adopted child, you can never, ever, 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 ever be rejected by God. You can never, ever lose your salvation. You can never, ever be a cast out. And Jesus mentions this over and over. In fact, in John uh, chapter 6, he says, all those that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. I love that. This is not going to happen. I will never, ever drive you away. He said the same thing in John 10, verse 27. My sheep, listen to my voice, I know them. And they follow me, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand, and I and the Father are one. He's like, you know what? This, this, you are right here in the palm of my hand, all right? And then my Father has given you to me also. And so you're, no one can snatch them out of my hand. No one can snatch you out of my Father's hand. And me and the Father are one, and, and you are forever, ever secure. Now, now listen, isn't that good news? Aren't you so glad? You don't have to go to bed tonight worrying, oh man, I wonder if I did something that now I'm going to be rejected. Now, I wonder if I've not done enough that maybe God would now not accept me or that I would lose my salvation. The terrible fear of that. Well, that's not, that, that is inconceivable in the scripture because you're an adopted son. You're an adopted daughter. You're forever and eternal secure. So just this foundation of adoption, what does it mean? It means that it was on the heart of God before time again. It was purchased by Jesus on the cross and you are now eternally secure. So that, that is all a part of now this idea, this theology, this understanding of adoption. And listen, when you understand that, everything changes in your life. When, uh, when Eli and Bree and Isaiah became a forever Harvell, all right? A forever Harvell. A lot of things changed in their life. All of a sudden, they, they had a house with a room and a bed. And they had a closet with clothes in it. And they had a pantry with food in it. Things physically changed. Uh, they also had social changes. All of a sudden, they got a mom and a dad that's sleeping in the other room, that's protecting them and watching over them and caring for them. They have brothers and sisters. And not only that, they got cousins and they got uncles and aunts that live in other states that they haven't even met yet that are all gonna accept them and love on them. And they got a church family here at First Colleyville that loves them and cares for them and talks to them about Jesus. They have a church family. All their, their whole social network completely changes. 
Their identity changed. Their name was changed. Their identity, who they are, and how they carry themselves in the community. All that becomes radically different. All because of that one moment when they were adopted. Now listen, the same thing is true with you. The moment you give your life to Christ, and listen, if you're not a Christian yet, I want you to understand where Christians are coming from, all right? The moment you give your life to Christ, everything begins to change. You say, well, like what? What do you mean? Everything changes. Well, let me give you a couple of things. One is your, your view of God changes. You, you just see God differently. Before you were in Christ, you didn't know who God was, or you thought, well, he's, a, he's the man upstairs, or uh, maybe he's angry, or you, you project onto God uh, it, things that, that have happened to you in your past. You have this twisted view of God. But listen, when you understand you're adopted as a son or daughter, now all of a sudden you see God differently. You see him as a loving father who cares about you. Look back at the passage. Look at verse four again. I want to show you. He says, uh, verse four, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. In love. He did this. The motivation for your adoption was God's love. God didn't adopt you because you were worthy of it. God didn't adopt you because you looked good. God didn't adopt you because you had the, a good resume. God adopted you because he chose to do so out of his abounding, overflowing love that he just wanted to show his love to you. Think about that, that you were chosen, that you were wanted, that you were desired, that you were adopted. I love what 1 John 3, 1 says. If you've got to write something in the margin of your Bible, write 1 John 3, 1. This is what it says. See how very much our Father loves us. For he calls us his children, and that is what we are. That's why we'll be saying, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. That's exactly what that verse says. See how much God loves us, that we are his children, and that is what you are. Hey, you're, you're not a mess up. You're not a screw up. You're not a failure. You're not, you're not rejected. You're not leftover. You're not damaged goods. You're not any of those stuff that the enemy whispers in your mind about uh, trying to tear you down. No, 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 no. You are a chosen, loved, adopted son and daughter. You are wanted. You have a father that loves you and cares for you. That is who you are. That's your identity in Christ. And that is who God says you are. He speaks over you. You know, as I get older, uh, I find it difficult. And if you're a parent, you understand this. I find it difficult to fully express my love for my children. I mean, I do express my love to them. I, I text them all the time. I love you just about every day. Maybe a little obsessive, but, you know. Uh, I write them syrupy notes uh, by hand. I tell them all the time, every time I talk to them, I tell them I love them. I mean, I do all that. I, I try to do things to show them that I love them. But even after all that, I still feel like they don't get it, right? They don't fully understand. You ever feel that way as a parent, you know? They don't fully understand the depth of love that you have for them. And that's really how your heavenly father looks at you. We don't fully get the depth of love that he has for us that God demonstrated his love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We don't fully understand or fully embrace how much he loves us. But that's who we are. And when we understand we have an adopted father, we begin to see him differently. 
that he knows you, Psalm 139, that he cares for you. Um, that he, he had, first Peter says he's provided uh, uh, for you in heaven. Philippians 4.19 says he, he takes care of your every need. He has an inheritance for you, uh, Romans 8.17 says. He's invited you to come into his presence, to enter his throne of grace, to find help in your time of need, to find shelter under the shadow of his wings. You really don't fully understand how much your father loves you, but you begin to see him differently. You also begin to see yourself differently. If I understand that I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an adopted son or daughter, then I, I, don't, I don't look down on myself the way I used to. I begin to carry myself a little bit differently. In fact, Romans chapter 8, you might just put a little notation on the side. Romans 8, 14 through 16, this is what it says. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received uh, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. See, what he's saying is this. uh, Because you're adopted, you're no longer a slave. You're no longer a slave to your past. You're no longer a slave to what you used to be. No longer slave to what people think about you. You're no longer slave to your job, trying to hopefully be successful that some people will think you're successful and like you. You're no longer slave to what you wear or the opinions of others or what people like or don't like on Facebook. You're no longer slave to any of that. You're, you're no longer slave to anything this world has because all those things could turn against you. But one thing that will never, ever change is you're an adopted son and daughter of the king that you have been loved by your heavenly father. You've been chosen before the foundation of the world, that Jesus Christ paid the penalty. You, that can never be taken away from you. And so you, all of a sudden you began to realize that his spirit put within you changes you. That all of a sudden the spirit of God that you received at the point of your adoption, when you were saved, that same spirit is now gonna lead you through life and help you to make decisions and directions in life. That same spirit, when the enemy chirps in your ear and says, you're such a failure, you're such a no good, you're such a mess up, all of a sudden that same spirit is gonna say, tell them who you really are. Tell them who you really are. You tell them you're a son. You tell them you're a daughter. That same spirit bears witness with our spirit that we really are children of God. See, we, we begin to carry ourselves differently. When I counsel with people and they have a low self-esteem and they, they, they're down on themselves, they always look at the negative. I just have to constantly put in front of them, this is who you are. This is who you are. And let me tell you, you tell the enemy that enough and he'll be quiet because he cannot stand against the word of God that's in front of you and the spirit of God that's within you. That's who you are. That's your identity in Christ. So it changes the way you, you view God. It changes the way you view yourself. It also changes the way you view the church. And I love this. Because you began to see the church not as just a place that you go, we're going to the church, or to a bunch of people that you would hang out with. But it begins to, you began to see the church as not just a people, but as your family. This is your family. And when you're a part of God's family, you're adopted into God's family, the church becomes your tangible family. In, in 
Hebrew, in Ephesians chapter two, if we had time, we could just flip over a chapter. In the first half of Ephesians chapter two, he's reminding them what their life was like before they came to Christ. He goes, man, don't you remember what you were like before you came to Christ, Ephesian church? Don't you guys remember? Let me just jog your memory. Uh, you were you were far from God. You were alienated from God. You, you didn't know anything about him. Uh, you were objects of God's wrath because of your sinfulness. Uh, you are without hope and without God in the world. Basically, he goes through this whole list. Many of us can remember what our life was like before we came to Christ. You say, yeah, I remember what I thought about those Christians. I made fun of those guys, you know? I didn't have any clue who God was. I was just living my life and I was living a self-destructive life. He says, but <laughs> that's not who you are anymore. Now, because of Jesus, you've been adopted into God's family. And he says this in Ephesians 2.19, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. That's who you are. You're a member of the household. That's who we are as followers of Jesus. That's who we are as a church. We have one father. We have a common father who's adopted us all as his kids. And we, uh, we have a big brother, Jesus, who is the, our co-heir with us and who had died and paid the price for us. And, and now we are brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, did you know that in the New Testament, over and over and over in the epistles, that the term brother and sister has been used so often that is now synonymous for Christian. If you call someone a brother or sister, that means they're a fellow believer, fellow follower of Jesus. And that's who we are. We're, we're a church family. Now, we've got the weird Uncle Ned and the crazy, crazy Aunt Sally, and we got all that going on in here and a bag of chips. We're all that, all right? But we are a family together. That's who we are. We're not a corporation. We're a family. We're not an institution. We're a family. And, and, and in family, we, we work through stuff and we process through stuff. We go through good times and bad times, but we go through it together as a family. That is who we are. You know, I was re reminded of that this week when uh, I got a call from Michael John, who leads our worship. He's not here today for a reason. I got a call on Wednesday, and he said, Craig, I just got terrible news. He said, my mother just died. She lives in Alabama, just turned 70 years old, lives by herself, and suddenly tragically passed away. I think maybe she had a heart attack. And so the minute he said that, I said, I'm on my way. And I hung up the phone and I drove to his house. And there were some other people that showed up there and we just gathered around him and we loved on him and we prayed for him. We talked about his mom. And, um, but while we were talking together, he said, you know, you really didn't have to come down here. I know it's been a long day and you had a lot of things going on. You really didn't have to come down here. He said, but I know that's just what we do because we're family. I said, that's right. That's what we do because we're family. And I talked to people in our church that even this week are going through really, really hard stuff. And they will say things to me like, Craig, I just don't know what I would do if I didn't have my church family. See, that's, we need each other. We pray for each other. We love on each other. We support each other. We cry together, we worship together, we celebrate together. We're in this together as family. I remember when I was a kid and we used to, on Sunday nights, usually it happened on Sunday nights when it was less formal. 
And if it really got, really got mushy and, and, and familial, you know, we would say, all right, everybody grab a hand next to each other. All right. And then if it was really good, we could extend across the aisle. All right, to the other people, we'd all hold hands together. And we used to sing this song, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. And you know, as a kid, I remember that song, but you know, as I'm a little down the road now, let me just tell you something. I really am so glad that I'm a part of the family of God. I wouldn't change it for anything in the world. I love the church. I love this church. I love you. You're my church family and we need each other. And that the only way that that can happen is because we have a father that chose to adopt us and we had Jesus that paid the price for it and we're his. Not because we deserve it, but because he chose to extend his love toward us. And this is why we worship together. When we worship, we're a bunch of God's kids getting together and just bragging on our heavenly father that he adopted. That's why he says in, in verse six, he said, we do all this adoption and all of Christ's payment for it. And all that is to the praise of his glorious grace. That's what heaven's gonna be like. Heaven is just one big family reunion where we're all brothers and sisters from all tribes and tongues and colors and backgrounds, but we all are the same family. Adopted by the same Father, we're family. Listen, if you are in Christ, you're, a, you're adopted into God's family. If you're in Christ, you are adopted into God's family, and that will never, ever change. The real issue is, are you in Christ? And listen to me very carefully. There's some of you that you're not in Christ. You believe in God, you go to church, you read the Bible. But there's never been that moment when the gavel came down and the, and the statement was made, you are now an adopted son or daughter because there's never been a moment in time when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and received him by faith and asked him to, to lead you, forgive you, and come into your life. That is the moment that your adoption goes into effect. How sad it would be for a child to always live around a family but never be a part of the family because they just refuse to receive it. Listen, don't let that happen to you. Today, you can become a part of God's family.